Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Today, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So take out your Bibles, take out your phone, whatever you got, get some notes ready, and we'll get going. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I've just been leaning on your power all week long as, as we're going to dig in here, that it's not the, the power of creative messages or creative oratory, but it's the power of your message, your word. And so we lean on that today in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you guys to make a commitment. Uh, I know we've got a lot of people out on vacation uh, throughout the summer. So as we're going through this series of 1 Corinthians, we're going to have a lot of people in and out. I want you just to make a commitment that you're going to catch every single one of these messages some way or somehow throughout the summer. So you'll go back and you'll catch last week. You've got to catch last week. It lays a foundation for where we're going for the, for the whole series. That even if you have to miss, that you'll jump online, you'll watch the video podcast, you'll, you'll put it in your earbuds as you're running or something. And uh, Because I believe God wants to do something through this series. And so I want to ask you guys to make that commitment because I don't have time to go back and uh, retell everything we talked about last week. I will set the stage. We are talking about the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, 1 Corinthians is the letter that Paul wrote to the church that was in Corinth. And at the time, the church that was in Corinth was, uh, it had been planted for about five years, but there were problems going on. There were, as we talked about last week, there were divisions going on. There were distractions because in the city of Corinth, it was filled with lust and, and uh, material gain all the time. That was the focus. It was a great place to start a business. Everything they would do would seem to work. And so there was much, uh, you know, trusting in riches or going after riches. There was uh, many people who were caught up in lust. In fact, uh, the worship of the goddess Aphrodite was a big deal. They had a thousand female prostitutes in the temple that that was part of your worship. And so it was just a place that was filled with distractions. And then it was also a place where, where many people prided themselves in their wisdom. And so different people would stand up and give a, a, a speech, if you will, and try to convince other people of, of their line of thinking, of their wisdom, of worldly wisdom. And so Paul had to address all of these things. And, and so we talked about that last week in 1 Corinthians 1, but he continues it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, And when I came to you, brothers, did, I did not come proclaiming to you the... Te- I, he said, Did I not come to proclaim to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or, or wisdom? He said, I decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him cruci- crucified. He said, I didn't come with this whole big rhetoric and, and this big speech and trying to uh, you know, showboat my wisdom. Uh, he said, I came to simply preach Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in my weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. And so last week, throughout all the divisions they went through, throughout all the distractions, throughout all the discourses they heard, we we talked about Paul's message and it was simply, guys, it's all about Jesus. You know, you can get distracted with all these things in life and and the city of Corinth was much like today. But, But Paul, if he were here today, he would say, guys, it's easy to be distracted here in the United States of America, but I want you to understand it's not about lust. It's not about material gain. It's not about our goals. It's not about our retirement. He said, it's all about Jesus. 
You know, it's easy to get divided over different issues and my cause and my team and my preacher and my church and my cause, whatever. He said, it's not about that. It's all about Jesus. He said, it's easy to get caught up in the world's ways of thinking and the world's wisdom and the talk show hosts of the day and the political commentary of the day. And Paul would say, guys, it's all about Jesus. Amen. And so last week, my one point application was simply this. Is it all about Jesus for us? Or have we become distracted? Is it all about Jesus or have we become divided? Is it all about Jesus or have we become swayed by the popular discourse and voices of the day? And how many of you guys want revelation from God? You want wisdom, not from this world, but from God? The first step in obtaining wisdom from God and revelation from God is owning the fact that you currently don't have it. You've got to get to the point where you say, you know what, my way and my wisdom, the thing I think I have, if I really want revelation from God, I have to first admit I currently don't have it. That opens up our heart to receive. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So here's the truth. You get to choose where your faith rests. Your faith can rest in the wisdom of men. Your faith can rest in the ways of this world. Your faith can rest in pursuit of money. It can pursue in the pursuit of lust, in the pursuit of this world's ways. Or it can rest in the power of God. You get to choose. And, and so today, I'm not, my goal today is not to impress you with some speech, just like Paul would say. It's not to put together this, this nice speech that you walk away and say, man, Sean did a good job preaching today. My goal today is simply that the power of God would breathe through this message. And that somehow by revelation in the spirit, not by wisdom of my words or the wisdom of the world, but by the power of the spirit of God, it would cut us to the heart at a deep place in us that only the spirit of God can reach. And so that's my prayer today. We get to choose though where our faith rests. And if you subscribe to the philosophy of this world, here's the truth about that. If you subscribe to the philosophy of this world, here's what will happen. Because if you've lived any length of time, you know that the philosophy changes from year to year. The philosophy changes from decade to decade. The philosophy, what used to be acceptable last year is no longer acceptable. And what used to not be acceptable last year is now acceptable because that's the ways of this world. And so if you try to plant your feet upon the ways of this world, you'll find that it's shifting sand. You'll find that if your feet aren't planted on the absolute rock of Jesus Christ, you'll have to constantly be changing where you put your feet. And you might be standing one day and all of a sudden the rug, as it were, is pulled out from underneath your way of thinking because the philosophy of this world moved on and you still are hanging on to old news. But the philosophy of this world is not the way to go. And you can just see that demonstrated every week. In fact, this week, some of you guys may have seen this, but there was a person who was nominated. I'm not going to get into all the details. They were nominated for some position in, in, political, uh, in the political arena uh, by the president. And so they were being grilled by members of, of Congress and people you would know if I, if I said their names. And so this guy happened to be a Christian. And a year ago, he, he wrote a statement. And in his statement was, uh, he said this. He said, Muslims do not simply have a deficient theology. They do not know God because they have rejected Jesus Christ, his son, and they stand condemned. Now, that statement is a statement that every Christian would believe. That's, there's nothing wrong with that statement. What that's saying is simply this. Jesus is the way. That we as believers believe that Jesus is the way. And everyone who does not follow the way of Jesus would stand condemned. That's what Christians believe. Okay? 
And, but simply stating that in today's society is seen as some sort of uh, affront to all mankind. It's, it's some sort. And so he wrote that in some article just simply saying that, that Muslims who do not believe in Jesus do not know the Father. Well, that's nothing new. Do you realize that Jesus said that? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one gets to God unless they come through me. And you know what, you know what the world would say today? Back off of that. Back off of that. In fact, the, these different senators were grilling him. This one that, that you would know if I said his name, but uh, he begins to challenge this guy. And he begins to say, don't you think that's insensitive to other religions? And he, the, the guy just simply said, sir, I'm a Christian. This is what Christians believe. Is it, well, don't you think that's Islamophobia? And he said, no, sir, I'm a Christian. That's what Christians believe. We, we love all people. We'll reach all people. We, we you know, respect all people. But he said, that's just simply what Christians believe. And the senator kept pushing him and kept pushing him. And he, kept, he only had one answer. He just said, I'm a Christian. I just believe Jesus is the way. And, and, and finally, the, the senator said, uh, his closing statement is he said this. He said, this nominee is really not someone who is what this country is supposed to be about. I will vote no on his confirmation. Listen, guys, this is in popular society today. This idea, this philosophy that you can no longer say that Jesus is the way and believe that, whether people agree with that or not, you can't even say that anymore because someone might say, well, that is not what this country is about. Listen, it doesn't matter if that's what this country is about or not. It's what believers, people who believe in Jesus are about, and we're a part of this country as well. And so what I'm saying is, if you were to listen to the popular discourse of the day, you might find your feet shifting slightly over to the way that the world wants you to think, which says, I can't say Jesus is the way. That's not what Christians believe. Christians believe that Jesus is the way, amen? And if you feel intimidated to take a stand on that, then I would challenge whether you believe that's true. Because Jesus is the way, and I'll say it till the day I die that Jesus is the way. And so a philosophy or way of thinking that contradicts the word of God in any way, shape, or form, or uh, misaligns the character of Christ will not bring you into a fuller life. It will not bring you into a fuller life. It will actually bring you death. And so there's a story. I'm going to skip over to the story. And it's a story many of you have heard. It's about this woman who comes to a well. It was Jacob's well. And she was coming to draw water. Now, she was uh, living in sin, and she encounters Jesus at the well. Now, there's several reasons why Jesus shouldn't be talking to her, but Jesus crosses all those lines anyway, and he talks to people because he loves people no matter what they're doing or who they are or what they've done. And so Jesus talks to her, and and we find this story in John chapter 4, verse 10. It says, Jesus answered her. He said, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, he asked for a drink, you would have asked him and, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where will you go to get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and as did his sons and his livestock. Now, what you see here is this woman who's stuck in this certain way of thinking. She's saying, here's a well and it's a deep well and it's been here a long time. And Jesus comes and he says, listen, I've got another place to draw some water from. 
that you may not be thinking about. And she's like, well, are you greater than this well? I want you to see there are two different wells that we can draw water from. There's two different wells. And, and even though this one's maybe been here a long time, and even this one seems really, really deep, and it seems like, hey, there's already somebody here to draw water, and you got nothing to draw water. There's two different wells, and that's the picture Jesus is painting. And, and Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, this well, Jacob's well, this well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And basically what he's saying is, your life's a mess. And you can keep drinking from this well if you want, but here's what will happen if you keep drinking from this well. You'll continue to get the same results you've always got. But if you come over and you drink from my well, then you're going to have eternal results. You're going to have eternal strength. You're going to have eternal forgiveness. You're going to have some different results. And I want to suggest to you that what Paul's talking about, the world's ways versus the power of God, represent two different wells that we can draw from out of life. We can draw from this well over here and we'll have certain results as we continue to go back to that well. We'll continue to be thirsty over and over again. But Jesus is the only one that can satisfy Jesus is the only one that will come over here and, and we will never run dry. You see, here's the thing. Your kids, have you ever noticed that your kids will always take whatever you do and take it a step further? I, I got on my roof a couple years ago and I was doing something. I got on my roof to work on something and then my son got on the roof and so I got on the roof, my son jumped off the roof. Take it a little bit further. Now, we see this happen so many areas of our life. But here's what I want you to see. In the long term, your kids look at your life and they will take whatever you're doing to another level, bad or good. Okay? So I want to challenge you. Which well are you sipping from? Because whatever well you're drinking from, when you come into, if they don't see you showing up in the house of God, they'll take that further. If they don't see you serving God, they'll take that further. If they see you dipping from the world's wisdom, they'll take that further. Be careful which well you draw from, not just for your sake, but for the sake of the generations that come after you. Which well are you drinking from? Where are you... When you're thirsty, the question is, when you're thirsty, where do you go for a drink? Uh, we were on vacation a couple weeks ago, and we, we diverted from Florida up to Atlanta. And in Atlanta, there's this place called the World of Coke Museum. It's the headquarters of Coke. And so they give you this great tour. You go through the whole thing. You get to see the vault where supposedly, you know, the, they keep the, uh, the formula, the secret formula and all this kind of stuff. It's really cool. And then at the very end of the tour, they, it opens up to this room. It's probably at least this size of a room and everywhere, maybe even bigger. And there are fountain drink stations, hubs everywhere across the room. And there are cups and you can go and you, and every single brand and every single flavor from across the world of a Coke product is represented in this room. And you can go and have unlimited pop for as long as you want to sit there and try every kind of soda that Coke has ever made. 
And so everybody, the floors are sticky. I mean, everybody is in there and you see all this, you know, here's, and it's got different countries. Here's Spain, here's, you know, you know, South, whatever it is. And it's all these different flavors. And so we're going up there and, and what? Everybody's trying everything. And you're there, you're thirsty because you just went through this whole tour. You're there and, and it's the only time you're probably ever going to try this stuff. And so you're trying everything. It's like, what, what is this? You know, it's like chocolate Coke, you know, uh, you know, banana Coke, you know, what, whatever. It's all these random stuff from all these. So, I mean, it's just the nastiest stuff you've ever tasted. I'm serious. I'm trying this stuff out and I'm thinking, you know, I know we all have different palates and stuff, but we're all human, right? So it is the nastiest stuff, but we are sitting there drinking it because as soon as you move to the next room, you don't get to come back. And so we're sitting there drinking all this nasty stuff because we were thirsty, because everybody else was doing it, because it was free. And as a parent, that's enough. <laughs> but the same is true in our life. Many times we will drink of something because it's just there. Because it's free, because everyone else is doing it, because it's convenient. And so when we look at our lives and we look at where we go when we're thirsty, are you going to the right well? Are you going to the wisdom of this world? Or are you going to the power of God? Because there are a lot of wells in this world that claim to satisfy. A lot of wells, money, sex, you know, business, uh, you know, fame. All these wells claim to satisfy. But there's only one, Jesus, that can really satisfy. Have you guys remember that? I don't even know if it's still a slogan or not, but I think Sprite had this slogan that said, Obey your thirst a while back. Obey your thirst. Man, I tell you what, if I obeyed my hunger, that would be bad, you know? But so if I obeyed my thirst in every other area of my life, if I obeyed my thirst, what is that saying? If you apply that to all the rest of your life, you'd be a mess if you disobeyed every urge that you have. And yet that's the philosophy of this world. Obey your thirst. And, And life has a thirst to it. You know, you can only go three days without water and then you'd start to die or you'd be panicking for sure. And I think some of us, we get out into the desert of life and we start to panic because we haven't been walking with Jesus. And so we reach for the first thing, even if it's a nasty thing that we can find to drink. And we're willing to because we're panicked. Which source are we going to draw from? You know, it's like, imagine if you had, uh, how many of you guys have a phone, like an iPhone? How many of you guys have iPhones? All right, so you could just, you know, you could set it up where you can just literally just say, hey, Siri, and it comes on, right? And you can ask questions of your phone, and your phone will talk back to you and give you, you know, answers to how to get to directions or to call somebody or text somebody or, you know, what does a Mayan temple look like? Whatever, you know, you can ask anything. And, you, you know, eventually they're going to get so good at that that that's really all you need to do. Imagine if, this is, if Paul were here, I think if he was to use an illustration, he would say it this way. Okay, you've got everything at your fingertips or your vocal cords, if you will, in, in the world's wisdom right there in your pocket. Imagine if, if God created a new phone and at the other end all you had to do was say, hey, Jesus. And you could get an answer to whatever question you had. Wouldn't it be foolish to continue to go back to, hey, Siri? And Paul's saying, guys, we can live this way. We don't have to say, hey, world. We can say, hey, Jesus. He's saying, don't keep going back to the world. Say, hey, Jesus. 
And that's what he's saying. Who is your source? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. He said, It's not a wisdom, though, of this age. And that word's important, of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age, you see how many times this age happens here, understood this. For if they had, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. Do you realize that as a believer, you are what? A citizen of heaven, right? Are you a citizen of heaven someday or today? Today. We are citizens of heaven today. It starts today. We don't see the fullness of it until someday, but it starts, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven right now. And so in the kingdom of heaven right now, there are uh, many times a reversal of values, a reversal of culture from our current culture. Uh, just one example, in ancient times, they would have a seating arrangement. If you walked into a, uh, a banquet hall, there would be somebody at the head of the table. And at the head, of, and it would, I believe, I'm going off memory here, but it, it was a U-shaped uh, table. And somebody would sit at the head of the table in the center of that. And the people of descending importance would flow out from that table. And you would be seated based upon your importance. And Jesus said this. He said, when you come to a banquet... Don't look to sit at that place, the head of the table. Sit at the foot. Now, if you in that culture were to walk in to that room, to that banquet, and you look at who's seated, who's seated and how they're seated, you would think the person sitting on the floor would be the least important. And Jesus said, nope, not in my kingdom. The person who served or the person who's bringing the drink and bringing the food, that's the most important person. That's the, the greatest in the kingdom of God is the one who serves. And so you see in the kingdom of God, it's flip-flopped from everything in our culture. And, and Paul calls this a secret wisdom. You see, no matter how much knowledge you have that you draw from this well out of life, there's still a wisdom that can only come from God. There's still a revelation that can only come from God. And you say, well, I haven't seen it. I've lived my whole life and I haven't seen this knowledge from God. It doesn't mean it's not there. It may be hidden from you, but it doesn't mean that it's not there. My wife and I, we stayed in Seattle uh, years and years ago. We flew in. We were sleepless in Seattle for three days, literally. We could not sleep because this hotel we stayed in, it seemed like somebody was, was like pacing uh, upstairs the whole night. We could not, for days, I don't know. And so uh, we could not sleep. But it was foggy. If you've ever been to Seattle, it's very foggy. It's very rainy all the time. And so we, we flew in in the fog and the rain, and we've been there for days at this conference. And finally, like on the third or fourth day, the fog and the rain dissipated. And all of a sudden, we could see. And we could see there were buildings. And we could see that there were actually like a mountain back there. And I had not paid attention at all to even realize that there were actually, there was a mountain back there when we were flying in. And I was surprised. I walked out one day and it had cleared. And I'd, I was like, there, wow. I didn't know. I thought there was just going to look at the ocean, but here's this mountain. What? It had been there all along. It's not like that mountain just appeared. It had been there all along. It was just hidden to me. Now, the same is true in our life. The wisdom of God is right there all along. It may be hidden to you, but it does not mean it's not there. And Paul says we can obtain this wisdom. We can walk in this wisdom. But he says it's not a wisdom of this age. Listen very carefully. The wisdom of God is not how to live in what the world is now in this age. 
The wisdom of God is not how to live in what the world is now in this age. That's not what the wisdom of God is. The wisdom of God is how to live now in what the world will be in the age to come. I know that some of you guys are going to have to sit on that. Maybe the revelation of God is going to have to, to impart that to you. But the wisdom of God is not how to live in this world, in this age, and how to live wise in that. It's wisdom from how to live in heaven, only doing that now as beacons of light for those to see us as a city on a hill for how Jesus does things. And so if you try to live by what's wise in this world and how to save for retirement and how to live your life and how to, nothing wrong with that so long as it lines up with the wisdom of the age to come living now. But so many of us are living by the age of now and how to live wise in that based on the philosophy and the will of this world. So how can we drink from this well? Well, wisdom and revelation from God, uh, they can't come if you have a closed fist. And you say, I'm just going to live this way because I want to live this way and because everybody else is living this way and why can't I live this way? There's an old ancient uh, Chinese proverb that says the closed fist can receive nothing. Well, that's pretty good. Closed spiritual fist can receive nothing from God either. We can't receive revelation from God if our fist is closed and said, God, I'm going to hang on tightly. So how can we do that? Well, he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, it says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of, of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So right there, if we stop right there, we say, listen, we can't even imagine. We can't even partake because we can't even imagine it. But he says, no, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except for the, the, the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. How many of you guys have ever had one of those what, are, what was I thinking moments? You know, like somebody else, maybe you did something stupid and everybody's like, what were you thinking? You know, because up until that point, they didn't know what you were thinking. And then you showed them what was in your brain by acting it out. What were you thinking? See, you can't know what someone else is thinking, right? We can't be mind readers. How can we have the mind of Christ? We're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. But how many of you guys have been married for any length of time at all? Okay, married? Gentlemen, how many of you gentlemen have figured out that you cannot figure out what your wife is thinking about? You can't. <laughs> I think we just set up a bunch of marriage counseling appointments, Pastor Aaron. You can't, how many times, I mean, you realize, you know, and ladies, you know, you're, you're just like, well, you, you should just know what we're thinking. We don't know what you're thinking. Uh, to help illustrate that, I'm going to pull out an old clip I think is appropriate. Let's roll it. And I said, ladies, when you talk to your husband, don't use a lot of verbiage. Give a direct statement. Men's conversations are short and direct. Women, when they want something, they hint at it. Nisa and I went for a drive one fall morning. Help me remember this, Nisa. Fall morning, got some baker's cream cheese, some coffee. Beautiful morning, Sykes, Missouri. Got some, watch the kids. We're just driving through, looking at the fall colors, having a great time. Got some time alone. All of a sudden, she said, hey, Joe, would you like to stop and get some more coffee? Hmm, no, no, had plenty, though. Appreciate you asking. No, I really appreciate that. <laughs> 30 minutes later, she's not talking. I said, you okay? I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> well, dear God, what happened to you? Nothing. You just being yourself. I'm driving. 
What is it? Well, she wanted some coffee. You didn't say you wanted some coffee. You asked if I wanted some coffee. I don't want no coffee. How many of y'all have had some moments like that, maybe? Moments like that. Yeah, all the gentlemen. What's up with that, you know? Because we can't read each other's minds as much as they would like us to do that. Um, because why? I'm, I'm here right now and I'm preaching to you. And you can assume what I'm thinking right now. But we, every single person right now, you have some conversation going on in your head. As you're going about life, you've got a conversation going on about your day. You may not even be listening to me right now. You're thinking about what you're having for lunch or whatever. We've all got conversations. And so you can assume what I'm thinking right now, and you can only assume it because there's no way for you to really know what I'm thinking unless you are inside of me, right? There's no way for you to know what I'm thinking. There's no possible way. You can read my body language. You can guess, but there's no way for you to know for sure. The same is true for God. God is the same way. How can we know what God is thinking? There's no way that we could know what God is thinking unless, we, unless somehow God gave us access. God gives us access to his thoughts by giving us a part of him, his spirit. So that when you walk by the spirit, you get to listen to God's thoughts. There's no way you can do that if you're not born again. There's no way you can do that if you don't have the Spirit of God in you. That's why Paul says that those who are not spiritual can't understand spiritual things. It's not because God doesn't like them. It's because they haven't stepped into the Spirit. And God hasn't been able to give them access to what he's thinking. God lets us in on what he's thinking if we have spiritual ears. And so walking in the Spirit, when the Bible talks about walking in the Spirit, it's simply God letting us in on the conversation he's having inside. You want to know what God's doing? Walk in the Spirit. God is giving us an inside revelation to the thoughts and the conversation he's having in himself. So how does this happen? How, do we, how, how can this happen? How do we have access to this? Because we're sinners, right? <laughs> how can we walk in the Spirit if we claim to be sinners? Well, let's, let's dig into this real quick. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12, it says, Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, by this well, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So the reason we can do this is because we have been set free from the flesh. We've been set free from this well. We've been set free from sinful ways. Jesus set us free from the spirit of the world to allow us to walk free in the spirit of God. How did he do this? Because he broke the bloodline of sinfulness. He broke the bloodline of sinful nature. He broke the bloodline of flesh. Let me do a quick uh, foundation setting thing here. First uh, John chapter two, verse 16, for all that's in the world, everybody just pay attention. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life is not of the father. It's not of this well, but it's of the world system. Got it? Okay, those three things. Uh, flesh is the sin nature or our works righteousness or our old life or old man. 
but Jesus broke that off of us, okay? We know that on the cross, but I'm going to show you even more particularly why that's such a revelation. Uh, go back to Adam in the garden, G- Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit, lust of the flesh, that it was good, delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes, that the tree was desired to make one wise, the, the pride of life. She took the fruit and ate it, and he also gave uh, to her husband who was with her, and she ate. So that was the sin nature. It's not of the Father, it's of this well over here. Is everybody following me this morning? Okay, that was there. And so Adam sinned, and Adam passed that sin nature down in the flesh through blood. Every time it was passed down through the bloodline of humanity all the way down until we get to Jesus, passed in the bloodline through through humanity. Not, Not a human could break that. And then we get to Jesus, and and when we see Jesus out in the wilderness, we see the same pattern. He gets tempted by the devil. He gets tempted to turn stones to bread, the lust of the flesh. He gets uh, tempted to high mountain with all the kings of this world and give it to worship, and that was the lust of the eyes. He showed him all of it with his eyes. And then uh, throw yourself down from the temple, and and you'll be fine. Uh, That was the big test of the pride of life, that can can I just be saved because I'm God. 100% God, 100% human, but he broke the way of the flesh because Jesus lived without sin. Now, why would this make sense? Why did this happen? How did he break the bloodline? It's because every single person down through the ages, from Adam all the way until we get to Jesus, had shared blood from a father. But Jesus comes born of a virgin from the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, the bloodline of sin was broken. And Jesus was born of the Spirit. And because of that revelation, it changed everything. And it gave Jesus authority to break the bloodline of the flesh. And so Adam sinned, passed it all the way down. But Jesus received life from the Spirit, not from the flesh. I want you to know that if you are born of God, if you are born again, you are born of what? The Spirit. You are born of the Spirit. So you do not have to be shackled to the sinful ways of the flesh. You can now walk in the Spirit. You are born of the Spirit. So you can't say, well, someday in the sweet by and by, my spirit's going to be free from the stain of sin. No, no. Your spirit is as perfect before God as it will ever be. Your spirit is as holy before God as it will ever, ever be. You're not going to improve upon it. You're not going to make it. You're not going to clean it up any better. The problem is not in your spirit because your spirit is pure and 100% before God, the same as when Jesus was born of the spirit. The problem is not in your spirit. The problem is in your soul and body. Your spirit is as perfect before God. And so I want you to understand. I want you to declare this this morning that I have been set free from the flesh. I mean, you declare it in your life. You can even say it out loud right now. I declare that I've been set free from the flesh. I do not have to be shackled to getting my my wisdom from this well over here. I've been set free by the authority of Jesus to walk over here in the spirit. And when I walk in the spirit, I get access to God's conversation. I get access to God's thoughts. And I have been set free. Satan is a spirit, but here's the thing. He lost all authority in the spirit to do anything to your spirit. He can only deceive your soul and your body. He can only deceive you and trick you out of walking in the Spirit. He has no authority to pull you over here. He can only deceive you out of what's rightfully yours. And he will do it. 
He'll try to get you to drink from the wrong well. Your spirit's as holy as it's ever going to be. Battle's not in your spirit, man. The battle's in your soul. Which well are we drinking from this morning? Our soul, the world, or from the spirit of God? Which well are we drinking from? All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit. He can't because he's not accessing the Spirit of God. For those things are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but it's himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. How do we have the mind of Christ? Because we walk by the Spirit and God gave us access to his thoughts. That's how we have the mind of Christ. It's not something I just say, well, I got the mind of Christ. I want to think about it. No, the only way it happens is because Jesus, we can't know what God is thinking apart from him giving himself to us to walk in that access. How do we know which source we're drinking from? So if you're sitting here today as we wrap up, you say, well, how do I know which is my source? I'll tell you, it's pretty easy. It may seem so simplistic that you may just, here's how you know. Whenever you have problems, whenever you're thirsty and you're looking for a place to drink, it's very simple. The solutions you come up with reveals your source. When you're facing a problem in your marriage, when you're facing a problem with finances, when you're facing a problem with depression, when you're facing a problem with forgiveness, when you're facing a problem with rejection, when you're facing a problem with sin, when you're facing a problem with addiction, facing a problem with shame, the solutions you come to the conclusion with, they reveal your source. It's very, very simple. Which well are you drinking from? We said last week, it's all about Jesus. So here's the real simple question then. When was the last time you asked, what is Jesus all about? In my marriage, what would Jesus think about my marriage? What would Jesus, what is Jesus all about when it comes to my business, when it comes to retirement, when it comes to how I'm supposed to spend my time, when it comes to what my ki- how to raise my kids, what is Jesus all about? You see the solutions you come up with, if you find them inside of yourself or inside of your own efforts or inside of your own strength or inside of your own answers or inside, you know, you go and you go on to, uh, how many of you guys have ever tried to fix anything at all? Today, what, what do we do? We go to YouTube, right? And we try to fix things. We were talking about this the other day. You're like, oh, I don't know how to fix this. So I'm going to go and find a YouTube video. Well, most people won't even do that. They'll just hire somebody to do it because you don't even want to mess with it. And, and so, you know, today we just, well, I'm just going to Google that. But you know, a generation ago, and in fact, even in my life, uh, and many of you maybe have experienced this as well, but it seems like a dying art, this art of apprenticeship. You see, when I was young and just a young teenager, my dad was in construction and he, he framed houses and did carpentry work. And so I started off by picking up boards, throwing them in the trash. And then pretty soon, I got to carry some boards. And then pretty soon, I got to hammer some nails. And then I got to use the saw. And then I got to use the nail gun. Then I got to shoot nail guns at my brothers. It was awesome. Then I got to get on the roof and climb ladders and hang off roofs. And, but it was a progression of apprenticeship. I didn't just Google how to do it. I walked with my dad to figure it out. I walked with my father to figure it out. The solutions reveal your source. If you find yourself in a problem, 
And you run to Google for your source, or you run to worldly wisdom for your source, instead of walking with the Father. God wants to give us firsthand access to his thoughts by his spirit. That's called walking by the spirit. Worldly wisdom or God's spirit, are you more in tune with what's happening in this world today? Is your pulse more on the world today? Or is your pulse more on what God is saying today? And we talked about that, Lord, what are you doing today and how can I be a part? Where is our attention? Where is our focus? That determines. And here's the litmus test. When you're thirsty, where do you go for a drink? Do I go over to the world's well and fill up? Or do I go to the Spirit of God and drink and, and fill in Jesus? Worldly wisdom or the mind of Christ. If it points to you, it's worldly. If it points to Jesus, it's his wisdom. It's that simple. That's what Paul was saying. So let me just challenge you. We can go ahead and have the worship team come back up. But I'm going to challenge you. If God agrees with you all the time, you might want to check yourself. If you find that you're never wrong theologically or spiritually, you might want to check yourself. If God's ways are your ways, you might want to check yourself. If you think you've got a corner on God and how he works and you got him figured out, you might want to check yourself. Because you might just be worshiping a God in your own image instead of a, a father who you listen to what he's saying and you come under that and you say, I will follow you. And that's really the question. Are we following Jesus or are we following the world? See, too many of us, we get this God amnesia and we forget what God is like because we've been looking at ourselves for too long. <laughs> the longer we look at self, the less we remember what God looks like and the more God starts to look like us. And that's this well over here. And pretty soon God has put his stamp on on the way, how we're handling our money. God's put his stamp on how we're doing our business and God's put his stamp in our minds. But we wouldn't know otherwise because we don't have the mind of Christ because we're not listening to his spirit. And if we would just for a moment step over and say, God, I want access to your spirit. Blank slate, what are your thoughts? What's your conversation about my life? Are we following Jesus? Uh, John Wesley, some of you guys have heard of John Wesley. Not going to tell his whole story, but his great, great uh, revivalist back uh, many, many years ago, a couple centuries ago. And, and uh, man, he, he grew up and he was a preacher. He studied in the finest uh, places. He, would, he was going out. In fact, he was on a missionary trip uh, over to convert Indians to Christ. He's on a ship back from doing that after years in the ministry and the, the, the storm comes into this ship and starts to, I mean, they are in dire trouble. It's about to go down. There happens to be a group of Moravians, uh, Moravian missionaries who are on this same ship. And as the ship is being tossed and almost broken apart, uh, the, John Wesley, he's like fearing for his life. He's frightened out of his mind. He's, he's just losing it. But he looks over and he sees this group of Moravians with the children just playing as this is all going on. The parents, no cares. And he's deeply disturbed by this. He's like, can't you see this is the end? And he goes and he talks to me. He says that. He said, can't you see what in the world? Can't you, I mean, the kids, can't, can't you see? Why, why aren't they afraid? And they said, well, we just trust Jesus. 
We just trust Jesus. No matter what happens, I'm just going to trust Jesus. It's not, I'm not going to worry. And this really disturbed John Wesley. And he went away from that. They actually made it to the other side and they were fine. But for the next couple years, he just wrestled with that. And he said, am I even a Christian? Am I even a Christian? And he came to the conclusion that he wasn't. He had been a preacher. He had been a missionary. He had preached He'd done all these things, given his life to that, and at the end of it, he realized that he was not following Jesus. And this haunted him, and for the next couple years, he began to to try to answer that question. And one day, he went to a prayer meeting, and and God's Spirit came at that moment, and his presence was real in that moment. And it's a famous conversion story where he simply says, I felt my heart strangely warmed, and I felt the presence of God. And I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. Well, he went on to to become one of the most famous revivalists. And he would get up at 4 a.m. in the morning. He would start preaching by 5 a.m. He traveled over 225,000 miles, mostly on horseback, preaching over 50,000 sermons. And I just ask us today, I just share that story to say, you can look on the outside like you're following Jesus, but you could still be drinking from this well over here. And that's just the real question. Which well are you drinking from? Am I following Jesus? Here's the good news. Matthew says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And here's the promise. They shall be filled. Can we stand up and just put our hunger and thirst towards Jesus this morning? And the promise of God that you can claim today is that you will be filled as you go to this well. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your message and for your wisdom. That's not wisdom for today, but it's wisdom from, for, from tomorrow for today. Lord, I pray that there would be people who would shift their thirst from the world's well over to the Spirit of God. We want to be a part of that conversation that you're having in our lives. We declare that in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.